When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Monday Buckeye Talk. It's Doug Lee Maurice. It's Nathan Baird. It's Stephen Means. We hope you had a great Christmas. Today is the last day of Hanukkah. We hope you have had a great Hanukkah. We hope you have had a wonderful time with family and friends this holiday season because now you're ours. So, like, tell your family and tell your friends. It was great. Maybe some of you don't have to work quite as much this week. A lot of you are working. We know that. But this is, you, this is your, it's Buckeye talk time. So Ohio State football time. We are recording this before Christmas, but we are giving this to you as we are in or getting to Atlanta, because that is what the Ohio State Buckeyes are doing. And we are going to be bringing you coverage from Atlanta the rest of this week. So this is the Monday pod. The Tuesday pod is going to be Hey, everybody got here. There's going to be like a little arrival news conference. I'll be reacting to that. The Wednesday and Thursday pods, we'll be reacting to interviews as we do offense, defense, defense, offense here. The Friday pod, we'll talk about what we learned on media day. We'll make our picks for the game. So, you know, let's go. This is like we waited all year for this thing. So great. I opened gifts. I don't know. You spent time with loved ones. Now it's us. So welcome. And if you're just, if you don't really listen to, to us most of the time and you're like, oh, I guess I'll listen to an Ohio State podcast because it's, you know, semi-final week. Well, then welcome to you guys too. Why weren't you here before? But we'll take you. So thanks to everybody who's made Buckeye Talk uh, part of your Ohio State fandom and part of your week. We're recording this early again, and we are looking back one last time, Nathan, before we start building up to this game live in Atlanta this week. We've gone back. If you guys haven't listened to them, go listen to our offense-defense breakdowns, two big separate pods where we did Georgia-Ohio State on both sides of the ball. Uh, We did a film breakdown pod. Go listen to that. We did sort of off Ohio State Media Day in Columbus. Go listen to that. Make sure you get caught up. But, Nathan, we're catching up here because it's Monday, and we're looking back on Market Down Monday. And I think primarily to see, as we usually do when we reflect, what we got wrong. There's a lot of wrong in this pod. Is that right? Buckeye talk. (laughs) (laughs) There's a considerable amount of wrong, but there's context for the wrong. The wrong, I think this is actually a great pod. If you are a Georgia fan, or if you're an Ohio State fan who has been like a casual fan and you're trying to catch up, maybe you don't follow it as intensely 
week to week, this is a good pod for you because it's going to, by reflecting on these preseason predictions, we are going to tell the story of this season a little bit. There's going to be another pod later where we're going to, we did pick a bunch of statistical, make a bunch of statistical predictions, how many yards certain people would get, who would lead in certain things. And obviously those things aren't done yet. So we, uh, because why, why, why do one pod when you can do two? We're going to wait and do those when they actually are final and a postseason pod that covers that market down Monday. But today we can talk about some of the other predictions we made. And in many cases, how wrong we were tells you a lot about the identity of this team that is going to be playing in the Peach Bowl on New Year's Eve. Steven, it is just remarkable that their leading rusher and their leading receiver just were not able to be themselves, that Jackson Smith and Jigba went from 1,606 receiving yards last year to 43 this year, and that Travion Henderson went from 1,248 rushing yards last year to 571 this year. We are not doing our statistical picks, as Nathan said, on this pod. But those facts, Stephen, adjust sort of the thinking of a lot of how you thought this team would operate when – their best pass catcher basically was wiped out for the whole year, and their best running back was inconsistent in and out of games, not himself often was he wasn't when he was in games because he was dealing with a foot injury that he suffered in September. It it does throw off where we were in August. Ohio State came into this season with arguably the best offense in the country, and two of the three reasons why everybody thought that basically were one played 60 snaps and the other one played every other week, and neither was of those two players are playing on December 31st. And yet this team's I, I, that context in itself, if somebody would have told us that in July, that, I mean, we did a whole like value pie where we all agreed that CJ Stroud, Jackson Smith, the Jigba and Travion Henderson, maybe Henderson and Smith, the Jigba in different orders, but those were the three most important players to this team. So if someone would have told you while we were doing that pod, Hey, two of those three guys are just basically not going to be available for, more than half of the season, I don't think anybody would have been like, oh, that's a playoff team. They probably would have, we all probably would have said Michigan's probably going to beat this team and maybe they lose a couple more games along the way too. So the fact that they only lost once and they're still kind of in, they're in the playoff, even if they kind of backdoored in is impressive in its own right. Nathan, did we undersell that part of this season? Like, do we talk about, we like, People knew the facts. We talked about, are they going to play? Will they be back? Can he play this week? But did we talk enough about how Ohio State was trying to win with one guy gone and the other guy at 50%? Well, two things make that difficult. Number one, there is finality now as to the status of both of those players, but it did not happen until after the regular season was over. We thought on a week-by-week basis when it came to Trevion Henderson, sometimes he was going to be in the starting lineup and was getting ready for a game and couldn't play that night. Like that's how frivolous that was with him this season. Like he, he just, his body was that kind of on the edge at all times. And with Jackson Smith, the Jigba, clearly all the indications we were getting through the middle of the season was that they were trying to get him back. He was trying to come back. They thought there was a chance for him to play long-term. So you have that against the backdrop of a big 10 schedule that from week to week, you can sometimes make excuses for why certain player isn't playing. There's no reason to bring him back to play Rutgers. No reason to bring him back to play Indiana. No reason, you know what I mean? No reason to rush him back. If there had been 
it, we would have talked about it very differently, I think, if Smith and Jigba and Trevon Henderson had both torn ACLs on opening. Now, obviously, we would have talked about that more because that would have just been this cataclysmic event. But you know what I mean? If there had been finality early in the year that both these guys couldn't play, we would have talked about it differently. But because it was always like, we talked about it in a different way because it was always like, well, this offense is doing this. Just think what it could do when Smith and Jigba comes back healthy or when Trevion Henderson can start playing with more consistency because he gets healthier. We talked about it, but just not with, not as much, I guess, in terms of it being an obstacle to the whole year. It was more about the uh, potential of the team once those guys were able to get back on the field, which now they won't. Which is crazy because it actually ended up like I was when I was going back and watching the Notre Dame game, just trying to look at some Michael Mayer stuff. And you know how ESPN does the little graphic of the players to watch. It's the first thing they throw up there is Jackson Smith the Jigba and Travion Henderson and how valuable they are. And then they throw up Stroud alongside of that. And I'm like, oh, we're in for a wild ride. You have no idea how that's going to be the last time you see those two in a graphic together. And then it's like four, 15 snaps into the game, Jackson Smith Jigba's hamstring explodes. And so it's. Nathan's right. It kept, we kept talking about it in this maybe optimistic standpoint. Had this been similar to Braxton Miller 2014 or Nick Bosa 2018, where it was very clear they're not coming back. It's just not going to happen. It changes the narrative of a lot of different things. And quite frankly, for C.J. Stroud, maybe changes his Heisman narrative some. Because then maybe it's not all coming down to the Michigan game. It's Look what C.J. Stroud is doing without the second and third best players on his team. Ohio State doesn't need excuses made for it. It's Ohio State. It's filled mm. with talent. But I I don't think there has been much of a vibe of, wow, I can't believe the great season this team had with no Jackson Smith and Jigba and inconsistent injured Trayvon Henderson. How did they do it? What a miracle. How did they overcome? That's I mean, that's our fault as much as anybody. Right. We just that was never that was never where anybody was. And part of it is because Marvin Harrison Jr. was like, I got this. And it's like, okay, well, that seems okay. And then Mayan Williams was like running through people. And it was like, okay, well, that okay. And then Paris Johnson Jr. and Dewan Jones were blocking everybody, and Tommy Eichenberg was shooting through gaps. It's like, oh no, CJ's making throws to everybody else. It's like, okay. But I do think it's not a, it's not maybe this is the right time before we propel ourselves forward. Now they're in Atlanta, Nathan. We're propelling ourselves forward for one last. It's fun to talk about how we were wrong. But maybe this podcast is also an appreciation of like, man, they're here. We're in Atlanta. There are four teams out of 130 with the chance. And they had these two potentially catastrophic injuries, and they're still here. There is a little bit of a wow. How did they do that to that? I, there really is, and 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 so we're doing it now. Well, did ten minutes of it. Then we'll go. Then we'll get. It's time to get to how wrong we were. But I'm God, Nathan. I didn't even know we were doing that on this pod. But we're doing that. I think it needed to be done. And again, if anybody's new to this, it's like, hey, let's just keep that in our heads a little bit while pointing out all the things they can do better. While pointing out that they need to win the rivalry game. Right. Let's let's keep that in the back of our heads because there are plenty of teams out there where take away their best receiver, take away their best running back to a large degree. And they would not have been able to sort stay on the track as much as Ohio state stayed on the track. Yeah. I just, I think this pod tells the story of Ohio state season in a, in sort of a condensed way. And it, again, it tells you 
what the identity of the team that's going to take the field on December 31st is, because we will be talking about those players in the past tense, because for the purposes of this game, they are past tense. They are not, uh, they may be in uh, attendance in street clothes, but they are not any threat to Georgia in this game. Ohio State has to come up with that threat from the other players it's taking down there. All right, so we have three main areas to talk about then that aren't statistical, but are predictions we made. So, Nathan, let's start with the playoff because we're in the playoff, and we can remind people of who we thought was going to be in the playoff along with Ohio State because we all did think Ohio State would get here. What else did we say? We said a whole bunch of wrong things. Uh, All of us had the same number one team preseason for the playoff. Do you guys remember who you had? I know Doug does because he does this – Uh, semi-professionally on the side. He has another podcast you all should listen to, the College Football Survivor Show, uh, with him and Shahan Jeharaja. And uh, yes, Alabama, number one, all three of us picked to be the the number one overall team. And again, this sort of tells the story of the college football season because Alabama, number one, didn't live up to expectations, but number two, Alabama got usurped a little bit within the SEC by uh, both Tennessee and LSU jumping up and having the kind of year that doesn't always happen because there's years where Alabama maybe isn't peak Alabama, but another SEC team still can't get up to even knock off lesser Alabama. And this year you had two of them do it and they're not a playoff team. I wonder if you guys, uh, I, I would direct you to this. If you didn't listen to the college football survivor show last week, where we did an Ohio state, Georgia breakdown as part of that show I had on Mike Rodak, from AL.com. And we wound up talking about Alabama for about half an hour. And Stephen, I'm just wondering where Ohio State fans would be if Ohio State, because Bama didn't, I don't, this was not injuries. This was no. Bryce Young was healthy and Will Anderson was healthy and Jameer Gibbs was healthy and they were who they were. And they lost twice and the Heisman winner didn't even get back to New York and they didn't even, and they didn't make the SEC title game and like their you know Tennessee was good their second loss was to LSU who then went lost to Texas A&M like mm-hmm. this is like it's one of those things Ohio State lost a game that a lot of fans wanted them to win like a a, a two-loss season for a relatively healthy team that all three of us picked to be the number one seed in the playoff and I think a lot of people thought Bama was gearing up for something this year that's a worse year <laughs> That's a worse year than Ohio, State, than Ohio State had. And I'm sure, you know, Alabama f- fans aren't thrilled about it, but it's also, look at all the reminders. Someone should send this podcast to Ryan Day. This is, we are filling this with excuses. It's not as bad as Bama. They <laughs> lost to Michigan, but it's not as bad as Bama. But Stephen, that is, was it under, was that undersold this year? Like, hey, remember when everybody thought Bama was going to be the undefeated number one seed in the playoff and they almost lost to Texas and then they did lose to Tennessee and LSU and they're playing Kansas State in the Sugar Bowl? That was cool. Yeah, I think Bama got the their Bama, so of course, treatment this year, which when you win that many national titles and do what Nick Saban has done, you're allowed to do the their Bama, so of course – thing with them especially I mean they had the they had the Heisman Trophy winner and the best defensive player in the country so that helps but I think a lot of us I'll include myself in that overlooked some of the other deficiencies that they had that showed up for them all season like Bryce Shaw not having any weapons or any protection they are 10 and 2 but they could very easily be 8 and 4 and I don't think 
there's some every team, whether you're twelve and zero or you're six and six, you're this record, but you could easily be this record or this record. I don't know if anybody came into the season thinking, oh, Alabama could easily have been eight and four this year, and they were probably closer to being eight and four than they were twelve and zero. Oh, definitely. And I think yeah. some Bama people would tell you they they could have been they they could have been twelve and zero because also as Saban keeps pointing out, their two losses were yeah. close also. Sure, but they it's one of those where, where ten and two is probably right, right? Because they sort of wound up with like mm-hmm. four really close games and they split them. So, um, I don't Nathan where was it a dumb like as Stevens pointing out they did have some things right they were filling you know running back with the transfer guy, receiver with transfer guys. Left tackle with transfer guys, but you looked at Will Anderson and Dallas Turner and Jordan Battle and Kool Aid McKinstry and some of the guys defensively, and you thought, man, I think they're going to be pretty good defensively. And Bryce is Bryce. Was it a bad pick? Should we have? Should people have seen more pitfalls for Alabama than we did when we all picked them to be the number one seed? Well, again, I think you have to take some other things into context. I mean, compare them to Georgia, for instance. You could have argued before the season that Alabama had more difference-making guys coming back than Georgia did. And Alabama was obviously right there with Georgia last year and losing the SEC or winning the SEC championship game and losing the national championship game. So just comparing those two teams head to head, you you could easily have made the argument as we all did that Alabama should be ranked higher. The other thing though, is when like, I don't know how you guys did this, if it was more just a sort of grabbing a power ranking out of midair, but like I went through and when I was doing my preseason top 25, even like plotted out, game by game, what I think thought people were going to do in the regular season in the conference championship games. And I got to 13 and 0 with Alabama, partially because I didn't quite think Tennessee was going to be what they were. I didn't think uh, Texas was going to be what it was a game, a team that really pushed Alabama, obviously didn't know that LSU would be able to put something together this year that would be able to beat Alabama. So uh, some of it is being wrong on Alabama, but then you're also wrong on other games on that schedule that turn out to be, you know, none of us were thinking about Tennessee, I don't think, as a real playoff contender, and they were for a big chunk of the season. All right, Bama number one for all of us. What next, Nathan? So we all had the same number two team. Do you remember who that was? The team we called. Ohio State? It was the Ohio State Buckeyes, who are going to the playoff, uh, but are not the number two seed. Would have been the number two seed if they had beaten Michigan, most likely, and then gone on and beaten Purdue, as Michigan is now the number two seed. Uh, but none of us picked Michigan to go to the playoff. And there was talk about it. I think if I didn't go back and listen to the pod, because this year I I very astutely and smartly tracked these things as we were doing the pods, uh, as we spoke them into existence. So I didn't have to go back and re-listen to a bunch of things. But I'm sure that we had a conversation on that pod because the the thought was already there preseason and Doug, you were on it. Uh, but it wasn't just you. It was other people were, were talking about, other people were even predicting going into the year that they thought the Big Ten had a shot at getting two teams into the playoff if things fell right. And that's what ended up happening. I know I picked Michigan to go nine and three. So I know like the idea of it. I just was- Of course, you're I nine picked- and three, Doug. that's true that's true i should just pick everybody in college football to go nine and three i should award a nine and three team of the year if i just said like who was the best nine and three team this year i should look that up um i I know i picked the wrong teams to have step backs that i that i thought okay this team was really good that this year i don't think they can quite maintain that level and the teams i picked to step back didn't step back and the teams i picked to be good did step back 
So, but Stephen, this idea of Ohio State at number two, I think we all had them undefeated. We all had them as Big Ten champs, and we all had them behind the number one undefeated SEC champion as the number two seed. So we were all on track for a lot of that right up until Ohio State lost to Michigan. So like the undefeated Big Ten champ is the two seed. You know, we can get like 10% credit for that, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm taking that. I'll take that 10% credit. Shout out to Buckeye Talk for that. I think I I might have said that the, the Ohio State-Michigan game is probably a playoff game again. And whoever wins that game is going to be the two seed because, I mean, the Big Ten West is the Big Ten West. I was just wrong because I thought Ohio State would beat Michigan. Um, so, I mean, that, and so I, I, I'm wondering where I'll be at next year with this point because it's I probably will think the same thing where that game is going to end up deciding who the two or three seed is in the, in the, in the playoff that year. And I wonder if I pick differently, but yeah. Um, I, I was open to the idea of maybe they got two teams in if things fell the right way. I do think it's going to be really interesting preseason, like all off season preseason. And then once we get into the season, analyzing Ohio state, Michigan, because I think a lot of us still analyzed it this year as Ohio state's better. Michigan got Ohio state last year, but like all things being equal talent versus talent, Ohio state's still the better team. And so do you kind of just think that wins out? And while I do think there's some intangible things that are working against Ohio State right now, I think we also just have some proof that, you know, Michigan has good players and there is enough of a contrast in styles that I think, Nathan, next year when we analyze Ohio State, Michigan, I think we just we probably dig in more on the legitimate football discussions more than we did the last two years, because I think we were still sort of operating under the assumption of well, Ohio State's better. And Ohio State's very good, but also Michigan is very good. So now you have to have football discussions about in the trenches and quarterback play and running backs and corners and all those kind of things that matter. And we just we're just going to be at a point of, of of having legitimate take the jerseys off. These are let's just look at the rosters and it just again I think like recruiting and all that. Of course, Ohio State still has quote, better talent, but like football and football, Michigan's good. So we only have nine months to do that. We will do that plenty. But but even after More this latest this, result, I, 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 I was say, but even after this latest result, people still would, a lot of people would still say Ohio State is the better team. Ohio State has the better talent. You can go look at the Vegas betting lines that are already on the, out there for a potential Ohio State-Michigan national championship game. Ohio State is favored to win that game. So it's even that result hasn't necessarily changed that analysis. And I'm, I'm very curious, but not by much. No, no. But, but if, if, if I, I'm curious, like how, depending on how these next two rounds play out, how this playoff plays out, who is ranked higher in the AP poll going into next year? Oh yeah. Especially with Michigan returning its quarterback. Yeah, I think. Mm -hmm. And Michigan's doing some work in the transfer portal right now, too. Mm -hmm. So, and you saw, you know, you saw what the portal did for them this year with their center and that kind of thing. So, okay, I I am not going to like the rest of this. I know what the rest of mine are. Who are our three seeds, Nathan? Uh, Two of us picked Georgia as our three seeds. So two of us correctly picked Georgia to be in the playoff. Doug, you were not one of those two people. It was Stephen and I picking Georgia. But I think that was largely, especially on my part, it wasn't necessarily a belief in the greatness of Georgia. It was a belief in not thinking they were going to drop off that much and then just the schedule 
was so favorable for them. Because again, we weren't thinking about Tennessee as a like playoff threat. And that turned out to be not the only threat that they faced because they definitely almost stubbed their toe at at Missouri and had a weird game against Kent State. And the Kentucky game was a 10-point game. But like that was the only team that you look at on that schedule that could have like usurped them and and taken that playoff spot. I just thought, I mean, we saw it actually play out with Ohio State and Michigan that Georgia and Alabama would both be in the uh, SEC championship game undefeated. The winner gets the one seed, and because they're not going to have a rematch, they're going to make the loser the three seed. Yeah. yeah. I definitely had just had Georgia stubbing its toe against somebody because it's hard to be undefeated in two consecutive regular seasons, especially when your quarterback Stetson Bennett, which was just like, is he, is he going to save them? And I just I, I I didn't know I didn't have a game, but I thought Kentucky, Florida, you know, like somebody in there would jump up and get them. And Missouri almost did. And then you have one loss, and you get to the SEC title right. SEC title game, and you're playing a Bama monster, and that's your second loss, and then you don't make it. Right. So that was my theory of the case, and they almost lost to Missouri, but then it turned out that other side of the SEC didn't have the team that could hang with them in the SEC title game. So even if they would have lost, they would have made it. But that was my step back version. It was not falling off a cliff for Georgia. It was a little bit law of averages. Somebody gets them and then Bama's waiting for you. So good luck with that. And I don't, and then at 11 and two, you're not in, you're like the five seed. So, um, so I was wrong. I mean, again, like I'm step back, Michigan, step back, Georgia and Georgia and Michigan are the two top seeds. And that and and I had Clemson as the three seed because I thought Clemson would figure out quarterback the version of Clemson that, that you saw like in the second half of the ACC title game or whatever it was when they went to Cade Clubneck permanently finally like after yeah. two drives of DJ I thought that would happen in mid October <laughs> and if that had happened I don't know that wasn't the only thing when we every time we talk about Clemson on the College Football Survivor Star Shahan always talks about. The, the receivers that they don't – they've had this history of receivers in addition to the history of quarterbacks, and their receiver play is just not there right now. And then I think their defense was good this year. They have good individual players. It wasn't great. They lost their coordinators. You had Michigan and Clemson that both lost coordinators on both sides. And Michigan was like, we're good. We got it. We're going to replace those guys and keep doing the same things – and I thought of Ver- and, and Clemson promoted from within for these things. And it's not to say that Tony Elliott and then Jeff Scott had left previously and Brent Benables on the defensive side of the ball. It's not to say they're not important, but continuity. You have great defensive players. And without great quarterback play, DJ was okay. I think it was almost a worst case scenario for Clemson that DJ Steven was good enough to keep the job, but not good enough in the moments when they needed him. Now, Notre Dame blew him off the field. Right, that was not going to be. But even like mm-hmm. the South Carolina game late in the year, if they can win the South Carolina game, I mean, this is this again was great luck for Ohio State. Oh, One yeah. loss, Clemson yeah. as an ACC champ. That was very real until Spencer Rattler in South Carolina made sure that wasn't going to happen. I think Dabo, if he does, if he goes to Cade Klubnik earlier, Stephen, we might be sitting here having like, hey, Ohio State's in the Orange Bowl, but. Let's talk about the playoff and how much of a game four seed Clemson can give Georgia. And so, like, I didn't, Stephen, I don't think I thought Clemson was going to be, like, necessarily good or great. 
But I thought they'd be good enough to get through, win the ACC, and then you're like an undef- like it's kind of like what Clemson does a lot of time, which is like, well, the ACC is not that great, and they get through, and they're the conference champ, and then they're in. But I did think their quarterback play would be better because either DJ would be good after he wasn't good last year, or he wouldn't be good, and they'd go to Cade, and instead they got caught right in the middle, and the result is they they still had a way to sneak in the playoff, and they did. For a long time this season, Clemson had the makings of the team that we've kind of grown accustomed to seeing in the 14 playoff, where these three teams are really good, and then one of these teams is not like the other. So they would have gotten on that stage and probably got smacked around by the number one seed anyway. So it was when they lost the first time, I was like, thank God. Nobody wants to see that this time around. Which I think Dabo is is super loyal to a fault, kind of the way that Urban Meyer was. So it was very clear because, as you said, DJ was good enough to win, but not good enough to actually win anything of importance. So because they kept winning, he maybe kept sticking with DJ. Had they just lost a game early on in the season, maybe he would have gone to Cade because now you're fighting an uphill battle, but you stick with the guy who keeps winning, even if he keeps winning ugly. But also, to Nathan's point, not only did we get two of the playoff teams right, we got a matchup correct, man, technically, even if we got the seeding wrong in the location. We technically got the matchup right. Oh, that you guys both picked an OSU Georgia Georgia. semifinal. How about that? How about that? No, you guys just picked the game. Yeah. Yeah, we just picked it to be out in Phoenix. But, you know, you take what you can get, I guess. The game game that everybody wanted. The game that everybody wanted last year. You guys thought we'd get it this year, and we did. Well done by you guys. Oh, well. In, in a roundabout way. Thanks, Dabo. And the you asked before who the best 9-3 and three team is. I think, at the end of the regular season, the best 9-3 and three team, which is now a 10-3 and three team, was the team that you both picked to be the four seed, which is the Utah Utes, Utah. who did yeah. a huge favor for Ohio State, knocking off USC, <laughs> who, again, none of us were picking to make the playoff, and, and allowing Ohio State to have this you know, backdoor route into the, the playoff and get us to Atlanta for uh, this coming week. So that was another one where I think picking Utah made sense preseason, but the Pac-12 was better than we thought. The Pac-12 was deeper than we thought with mm-hmm. like legitimately pretty good teams. I think there was a time when you would look at the at Utah, look at the Pac-12 and think, well, this team has a chance to really pull away and just stand alone in this conference. And then you had USC step up and be pretty consistently strong. You had UCLA, you had Washington, and, and some of these teams never even necessarily play each other because of the way they did the schedule. But just a a a, a year where the, the Pac-12 kind of did have its resurgence that we – college football had been sort of asking for for a while, even if it didn't actually end up getting a team into the playoff. The idea that the Pac-12 went from not good enough for years and years and years to too good. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, are you yeah. kidding me? Like their problem is now they're too good because in the end, guess what? Utah won the Pac-12. So it's like, oh, what do you think about Utah? Yeah. It's like, oh, I think they'll be the Pac-12 champs and get in the playoff. It's like, all right, well, they got the Pac- they're the Pac-12 champs, but they lost three times. But I know, and again, when we, I think Shahan on the Survivor Show, when I picked Utah, I think he picked USC to make the playoff. And it's like, all right, I think that's where a lot of people were. And thinking back to Pac-12 before the season, Utah's more established. Is USC going to come on in year one? 
And then it turns out Utah loses to UCLA because guess what? UCLA can score. They play a weird game against Oregon because guess what? Oregon's pretty good. But Stephen, once Utah went on the road and lost at Florida in the opener, I was like, well, that's good. I guess mine. Yeah, man. Get that right. Like Florida being fake good for a week threw this all out of whack. Just because Anthony B. Richardson decided for a week I'm going to be the leading Heisman Trophy candidate just because I'm going to go crazy. And because if they don't have that loss, I mean, they still don't get in because they're a two-loss team, but it, 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 I feel like it's viewed a little bit differently. Maybe they they finish fifth. And so when they, when they finish in the, in the ranking sixth or seventh or something like that, they probably finish a lot higher. And so you can maybe make a better case than you would be now because they lost to Florida. So thanks, Billy Napier. The, the I mean, people were trying to make a two-loss case for Bama, who didn't even make their conference title right. game. Yeah. Two-loss Utah that beats USC twice and is the Pac-12 champ, and the two losses are to UCLA and Oregon. And you're knocking USC out of the playoff in the process because they're the four seed at that point. Like, would they have gotten in ahead of Ohio State? I don't think they would have, but I think, Nathan, it would have been a closer call than it wound up being that if Ohio State on selection Sunday, it's like, well, how would they not get in? It's like, well, somehow if they gave it to Bama, and it's like, well – I don't think they would give it to Bama, but two lost champ. Like, I don't think it would have happened, but I think Ohio State would have been a little more nervous yeah. waiting to hear its name. I think if Kyle Whittingham had gone on TV that weekend and done his spot the way that Nick Saban did, it would have been less uh, disingenuous and kind of cringeworthy for him to make a case for his team because they would have been conference champions and, 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 and they would have beaten good teams along the way. Two things Alabama could not say. So who's your four seed, Nathan? My four seed was Clemson. I should have mentioned that when you you said Clemson, but I also had Clemson uh, coming back from the dead and making it to the playoff again. And again, uh, close. Like if they they had just found a way to beat South Carolina, of all people, that might be what we're looking at right here. And we're talking about this in a a very different way in terms of Ohio State. Yeah, I'm glad that didn't happen. Nobody wants to see Clemson get smacked around by Georgia for 60 minutes. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, and and nobody had nobody had a Big Twelve team. So no, and then it is going to be fun when we get to the twelve team playoff era, and we're making picks for which twelve teams are going to make the playoff. Man, that's going to be fun preseason each year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's going that's going to have sure. to be its own recap episode at the end of every year. So yeah. uh, in terms of then what played out after that, Doug, you picked Ohio State over Clemson and Alabama over Utah. Uh, Stephen and I both picked Ohio State over Georgia and Alabama beating the number four seed, Utah and Clemson, respectively. And then we all, or sorry, Doug and I both picked Alabama over Ohio State, and Stephen picked Ohio State over Alabama. So we both, we can all still still be correct that an SEC team beats Ohio State on the way to win the national championship, or Ohio State beats the SEC champion to beat, to win the national championship. That is still on the table. Uh, The only one who can really be correct, though, is Stephen. All right. Let's go to me being right. Because that's Frickin all that really Saban. matters at the end of the day. <laughs> Fucking Saban. Fire that guy. How can, how can Bama tolerate this? This is Weak sauce. This is intolerable. Okay, so that that's our those are our playoff picks. Uh, quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what we picked for the Heisman, what that told us, and which Ohio State players we picked to be All-Americans and get a tree in Buckeye dro- Grove. Uh, we'll do that next on Buckeye Talk. Doug Nathan and Stephen Nathan, let's do Heisman because obviously CJ Stroud was right in the thick of this conversation. What did we say preseason? So, man, just some just some stellar wrongness here. 
two of us picked the same preseason Heisman, and one of us had that person second on their list. And it was not any of the quarterbacks that made it to New York this year. In fact, it was not an offensive player or a quarterback. And in fact, it was not an offensive player. It was Will Anderson, the standout outside linebacker slash edge slash whichever you want to call him uh, from Alabama. And, you know, him not getting to really ever be in the conversation, right? Like, I mean, he was there to start the year, obviously. That's why people like us were picking him. And the the odds were dwindling. Like, the odds were coming down on him. Like, at one point, it was like, man, this is like a really juicy Heisman pick. Like, people, if you're sharp, like, maybe this could be something. And then by the time I think we actually got around to picking, those odds had come way down because he had been talked about so much. And then I think very quickly this year, he sort of just he completely fell off the radar to win. So now he won a lot of other national awards. He was very prominent at the home Depot awards show, but as far as the Heisman voting, I don't remember if he was even in the top 10 of the voting. I don't think he was either. And, um, Joey Bosa effect, the sophomore crazy stat year, ridiculous numbers. And then everybody starts paying attention to you and double teaming you and triple teaming you and sending everybody at you. And so your numbers kind of fall by the wayside. But also, he has the added thing of Alabama had two losses. While I mean, Ohio State was at least still in the playoff picture, you know, by week eleven before obviously they lost to Michigan State. So it's it's hard. He had he probably had the biggest runway of any defensive player heading into the season to do it. But as we've seen in the past with defensive players who have that big jump in their sophomore year, it's kind of hard to repeat that when everybody's paying attention to you. So he still had ten sacks. Joey Bosa had like. Five, right? His junior yeah, he year. Had, Will Joey Anderson, Bosa dropped. Will Anderson dropped seven and a half sacks from how he had from what he had a year ago. Joey Bosa had eight, dropped eight and a half sacks from what he had the year before. Will Anderson still had ten sacks. So, like Joey Bosa got triple. Like Joey Bosa's stats. Will Anderson was second in the nation among Power Five players and tackles for loss per game, only behind the guy from USC. Ten sacks is still pretty good. There's only. So 10 sacks for him per game, it's point, uh, like eight, two sacks per game. There's only one, there's only three guys in the power five ahead of him. He was still good. And he won, as Nathan said, every defensive award, but he wasn't extraordinary. And he just like the story never caught up. I mean, he didn't drop off his, he didn't fall off a cliff, but he didn't rise up. The thing of it is, I think every other part of the Will Anderson Heisman case that didn't have to do with Will Anderson happened. Yeah, we, yeah, the guy who ended up winning wound up being like the the quarterback of a two loss team that didn't even win its conference and isn't going to the playoff and lost its last game. The top three Heisman finishers all lost their last game. Like it was there if 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 Bama's good and Will Anderson's good, even if he's not super spectacular. If Bama was Bama, if Bama was undefeated and he had two sacks in the SEC championship game. I don't know, man. Like, you're looking for someone propelling a victorious team. Like, we didn't have that. We had to go to a some, we had to go somewhere different in our Heisman boat this year because, like, nobody went out on top. Nobody went out on top. Stetson Bennett went out on top. He finished fourth. Nobody else, like, that's very unusual. So, like, the, the theory of Will Anderson, I think, was there. And then he just, he just, wasn't good enough to to keep the steam of the preseason going. 
17 and a half tackles for loss, 10 sacks. That's pretty darn good. But as it turns out, pretty darn good isn't good enough when your dominant team underachieves and loses two games and is not really part of the discussion at the end of the year. So, it's- oh, well, it was there, man. And it went from when we, I was first, Shahan and I were talking about it like in June, it was 50 to one his Heisman odds, and then they were down like 14 to 1 yep. by the time the season started because I think people started buying the theory of the case. And, you know, in some ways, it's similar to some of the other people, including C.J. Stroud, as far as their Heisman case. It was going to be – you couldn't just have a good year. You had to have, like, the overwhelming numbers. And as Steven's pointing out, like, 10 sacks is really good, but, like, somebody always has 10 sacks. They don't always have, like, 17 and a half sacks or 20 sacks or whatever people thought that Will Anderson might be able to do this year, and that just didn't happen. Like he went from 101 tackles, 31 tackles for loss, and 17 and a half sacks to a really quality year for edge rusher, 51 tackles, 17 TFLs, and 10 sacks. That's a quality year. But you flip those years that even with the two losses, maybe you consider them. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good point. If he had built up last year with, with what he did now mm-hmm. to the stats he had a year, because I do think the buildup was part of it too, right? I do think that was mm-hmm. important for him to have the buildup, but then it, he, he went down and it's hard to win when you go down. Now he still led the sec in sacks, right? Yeah. I mean, but, but again, that's, that's not really the threshold that we're, that we're talking about anymore. So um, for instance, Joey Bosa in 2015, when you're having this conversation in the big 10, Joey Bosa was uh, 18th in sacks in the Big Ten in 2015. Will Anderson led the SEC in sacks. Joey Bosa was third on Ohio State in sacks. He didn't have as many as Tyquan Lewis or Sam Hubbard that year. So, I mean, it's, again, it's Will Anderson was still good. He was he led the SEC in sacks. It's like, oh, what's your defense? You're going to pick a defensive guy to win the Heisman? What's his case? It's like, well, he led the SEC in sacks. It's like, all right. We can start there, but it, I mean, but it wasn't close. It wasn't close to enough. No, it wasn't close to enough. No. So all three of us had CJ Stroud on our ballot at three different positions. We all picked a one through three, as you would for the Heisman. I had him number two. Doug had him number three. Steven, you had him as you predicted winner for the Heisman Trophy this year. And Mm-hmm. Uh, we might as well go ahead and talk about Jackson's with the Jigba here, too. Is Doug, you had him number two on your ballots. You had Alabama, OSU, OSU. And for both of those guys, obviously for Smith and Jigba, the season never really even got started. And I think that Stroud's statistical case was probably always, in retrospect, tied into having Smith and Jigba for the full season. I think if it's it's yardage right it's it's just yardage you have to get a lot of yards uh you the touchdowns are important too but i think the yardage number has to be there we were all predicting big yardage numbers for stroud and we'll get to that like i said in another pod but he's gonna have to do uh things that like they don't even dream of on tech mobile to get to anywhere close to the yardage totals we were predicting for him and I thought that in retrospect, it's just it was very hard to do without what we thought Smith and Jigba could do in the middle of the field and and with the yardage numbers that we were expecting Smith and Jigba to get this year. 
Yeah, but he also threw almost 100 less passes than he did last year. Same amount of games, through 12 games. So they just like didn't throw the ball as much. And some of that is because you're missing Jackson Smith and Jigba, but also the defense was just better. So he wasn't having to throw 35-plus passes in, against Nebraska, for for, for um, instance. But also, second year in a row, it's it comes down to the Michigan game. Stats, all that stuff is great. They win the Michigan game, and he has a decent day. He probably wins the Heisman. So I was I was on track. And then, you know, Harbaugh did his thing and J.J. did his thing. Well, you were on track, but I picked him third in the preseason. I voted for him third, and he finished. Yeah, yeah. Listen, so I, I was I right. that, Off the bat, I was like, good for you. <laughs> so the thing about it is I thought it was a statistical case for him, and in the end it was a captain of the ship case because we were talking about, like, Joe Burrow's statistical case. I was at mm, least preseason, right. and it was never Same. that. It was never that. And maybe that was just it was never the plan to be that. I do obviously Jackson threw it off some, but also the way they talked, like I think they they wanted to try to run the ball this year. They wanted to the whole toughness thing. I think they leaned into it more than people on the outside did. And I think they wanted balance and all the stuff Kevin Wilson was saying in the preseason, Nathan, about like, hey, you know, you can put up a bunch of stats, but it doesn't matter if you don't win. It's like, okay, I don't know. I also just happen to think putting up a bunch of Offensive, a bunch of passing stats is also the way to win, but they had that in their head, Nathan, and I, and I was wrong on how I thought they would think about it. They were not thinking about it as a through-the-roof statistical passing season, and then once Jackson's out and Ryan Day said it 100 times, we had a million things planned for this guy, and we never got to do it. That lessens it even more, but um, he was on track still. But to me, if they beat, and I, th- I completely agree with you, Stephen, they beat Michigan. They win the Big Ten Championship. He wins, I think, in a borderline landslide. Mm-hmm. But he would have won it in not the way that I would have thought his season would have go. He would have won mm-hmm. it on the Troy Smith way of doing things, captain of the ship of the best team, not on the Joe Burrow, who also was the captain of the ship of the best team, but was throwing for 450 yards per game. So, and I don't know if that was right. I don't know. It's just the, the, the frustrating right. thing about this is everything we thought just got blown out of the water. So it's like, I'd rather be, I'd rather be wrong. Buckeye talk like Nathan, I'd rather be wrong, right. but like we at least got to see it. We didn't even, we can't even know for sure. It's like, I, I think I was at least partially wrong because I think they had it in their head in a different way than I thought they had it in their head. But I, what would it have looked like with health, with moderately healthy Trey and moderately healthy Jackson I wish we could have seen it. I wish we could have seen how they decided to go about it. Everything CJ could have done, everything this offense might have been when you have everything at your disposal. And we just get to a point, well, we'll never know how off or on our predictions were because the injuries just kind of made them a no-go. And they, they still did have some games, even without Smith and Jigba, where they just put the the pedal to the floor right from the start and and – smoked some teams, but it didn't happen as much as we thought it would. I think we thought that this might just be a LSU 2019, Alabama 2020 kind of offense that really laid waste to people. And it was a great offense, but it wasn't a legendary offense. And it's it's still not. It's not going to be probably for this next game either because they're playing a really strong defense. So again, we're kind of telling the story of the season. There was the expectation there were the circumstances that then provided the structure of the season, and then there's the result. And we there were just major, major, major circumstances that 
the domino effect affected all these guys that we couldn't have seen when we were making that pick whenever it was in July. The whole toughness thing, I do wonder how much of that they started leaning into once Jackson got hurt because let's just say Jackson doesn't get hurt against Notre Dame. Are we sure they run it 15 straight times to close out that game? Or they just, you know, run a bunch of option routes to Jackson Smith and Jigman and go, hey, we're going to play catch. Because that also keeps the ball moving and that keeps well, the clock moving if you just, you know, keep getting first downs. If Smith and Jigman doesn't get hurt. And scoring. Yeah, if Smith and Jigman doesn't get hurt, the question is, is it only an 11-point game in the fourth quarter when they start running the ball the way they did? Like, that that's where the domino effect yeah. is. And maybe they're up by three touchdowns and it's it's a totally separate, it's a totally different situation. 294 passing yards per game for Ohio State this season. 14th in the in the nation. Ninth in the Power Five. Washington, Tennessee, USC, Arizona, North Carolina, Wake Forest, Mississippi State, Texas Tech. That is all not where we more yards be. per game. Or for, that, for attempts per game. That is right? not at all where we thought they'd be right. coming into the season. But if you go if, – if, if you thought yeah. – If you go ask Ryan Day, you ask the players on this team, would you rather have had the defense that North Carolina or any of those other – Texas Tech or whoever, would you rather have those defenses and have to throw the ball – 10, 15 more times a game or whatever it is, five, eight, whatever. I think they're going to say, no, we'll take, we'll take our defense. Cause that's, what's going to give them a chance to maybe be Georgia and go on and win a national championship. None of those other teams are, are in a national championship position. Good Georgia. Georgia is 381 passing yards, 381 passing yards per game for Ohio state last year, third in the nation, second in the power five, only behind Virginia. So uh, one of us, correctly had the Heisman Trophy winner as one of his three votes. Would you like to guess who it was? Well, it wasn't me. It was Nathan? I thought it was Steven. No, it was me. I had Caleb Williams third on my ballot. (laughs) Just because I thought it was... In my notes here, I had very winnable scenario for USC, and that turned out to be right. Like I I remember talking about, uh, number one, Lincoln Riley just gets guys to New York, but number two, I looked at that schedule and wasn't as impressed with some of those teams at the time, and then I was both right and wrong about some of those teams like, you know, um, Utah or Oregon or Notre Dame like they were all good but I didn't think there was anybody that was like great and I thought USC it with all that offensive talent coming in had a chance and they did they had the one loss going into the conference championship game and it was and it was a very winnable scenario for Caleb Williams because he won it and the one person we haven't talked about yet that was a finalist was uh, Texas running back Bijan Robinson who I think was your preseason pick to win it last year right 2021 Steven it was you you stayed on the Bijan train and had a great year. There's people who definitely probably had him in their top three on their ballot. I think that was a case to be made. He had a really strong year, and I think he's going to be, as far as the running backs go, very highly drafted here in a few months into the NFL. Former he's the best running back in the country, won the Doak Walker. Yeah, former OSU. Yeah, oh, former OSU. Uh, like he had a, a Doak Walker Award winner. Um, going to be a first-rounder probably if there's a running back taken in the first round. It's hard. For that, I think it's going to be hard for that position to win Heisman's going forward because I thought he had a Heisman level season, but Texas wasn't that good, and also quarterbacks have just started dominating this award so much that it's really hard for him to get that level of attention for this. Like I can't. Who's the last running back who was a Heisman Trophy finalist? A finalist, finalist. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there've been so Derrick Henry won it um, since yeah, since he fin- won. 
Bryce Love finished second, I think, the one year. That was ridiculous. I was like outraged yeah, yeah, for Bryce yeah, Love. Uh, um, I can't think off the top of my head. Bijan finished ninth. I, I mean, yeah. the thing of it is, if Bijan, if Bijan played for TCU, I think he would have won the Heisman. Yeah. So what's it look like? You have to win if yes. you're running back. So yep. um, you you yeah. have to win. And then Texas – and I almost voted. And I've talked about this. I, I sat down on the day when I was finishing my ballot, and I had Bijan won on my ballot. And then as I worked my way through everything, I, I didn't wind up there. I didn't wind up voting for him at all. And part of the reason was, like, when they played TCU, he had a terrible game. He had 12 carries for 29 yards against mm-hmm. the, the playoff team they played. Yep. And so that that wound up mattering. And Bama. And, and really? right. And so it's like if your team's not great and then you wind up in a spot, it's like, well, how did you do against your best competition? That gets really tough. You've really got to thread the needle as a running back. Derrick Henry won it because he was on a, a great team that was a run-first team. And the mm-hmm. quarterback in the offense wasn't the candidate. The running back was. So I think if you have a great team where the running back is the engine, Blake Corm would have won it this year. Oh yeah, he could. If CJ Stroud had mm-hmm. beaten Michigan, and if CJ Stroud and Blake Corum, if they mm-hmm. win those two games healthy, I think they both win the Heisman. And it mm-hmm. turns out that the team that won, the guy wasn't healthy. But I think Blake Corum, if Blake Corum has the touchdown runs at the end of the Ohio State game that Donovan Edwards had. Oh, yeah. I think on the second touchdown run, he would have struck the Heisman pose in the end zone. And everyone would have been like, yep, that's right. Mm-hmm. It's him. It, mm-hmm. And he got hurt at the wrong time. At the very least, he would have been in New York instead of Stetson Bennett. I, at the very least, he would have been the fourth finalist. Um, I agree that, that the injury cost him there. Just to answer Steven's question fully, 2017 was Bryce Love. Uh, 2015 was Derrick Henry winning and Christian McCaffrey second. 2014, Melvin Gordon was second. So there was a little run in there, a little cluster um, where, and then you go back to 2009, Mark Ingram over Toby Gerhardt at the top. So it was happening there in the, like 10 years ago, 10, 10 years ago to five years ago. But ever since then, it's been all quarterbacks yes. except for Devonta Smith and, and Aiden Hutchinson. And, and frankly, I think if George is running back, as we talked about on the Georgia offense pod, if Georgia's running back was one guy, Probably. I think that guy might've won the Heisman. It's just that Georgia spreads it out between two and a half guys. And then you look at it statistically and it's like, I don't, what are you going to give the Heisman to a guy with like 900 yards from scrimmage? What are we talking about? But that's a little bit of like, if you could feel an individual, the best case, I always right, the best Heisman case for anybody is the quarterback of the best team. But if your offense is run first, mm-hmm. Workhorse running back of the best team, I think, remains a pretty good case. It's just that not many of the best teams are run-first teams anymore. But Michigan could be that. Georgia could be that. If they got around to that, I think that case exists for the right kind of offense. Blake Horm had, but you got to win, Stephen. To your point, if 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 Texas was even a little bit better, Bijan's yeah. awesome. It, but it was it, just hard to look at that Texas team and be like, I don't know, man. You know. Like, they're eight and four, and it's—I mean—the Bama game was there for him. Had he, especially once Quinn got hurt, if they—if Sarkeesian would have just went, you know what? We're going to give Bijan the ball thirty-five times. Go have a day, and he turned it into something. Now we're rolling. 
especially since TCU turns out pretty good. And now you get to that game and Bijan's already got some momentum and then he uses that game to seal it off. Now you're talking about something, but eight and four. And then the two best games that you had all year are Alabama and TCU. And you had 29 yards against TCU and 57 yards against Alabama. That's just not, he didn't help himself, but also Texas is not very good and not back yet. All right. We'll wrap that up. We'll come back after this. Heisman, not Heisman, Buckeye Grove guys, the All-Americans we thought Ohio State would have this season. Next on Buckeye Talk. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Grove trees, they matter. Paris Johnson Jr. said, I always wanted a tree. Got a tree this year. Nathan, what did we think about who the All-Americans would be? So we all picked C.J. Stroud. None of those were correct. And I think there's a conversation that we should have on a different pod about, and we already have had it, about how they determine this. Um, But there's been no team yet that has had him as the first team quarterback that I've seen. Uh, Now they do extend it. It doesn't have to be just the five main ones, but so far none has picked CJ Stroud uh, first overall. Well, are there any more left though? I don't know because all American teams left. I think we're done, right? I I, I need to maybe do another pass through. I did a, I did a, the last time I did a look, I picked up some of the last remaining like legitimate ones, but I don't know if as of last Whenever I did this sometime late last week, there might have still been a, a straggler or two. But, I mean, he didn't win the Heisman. He didn't even finish top two in the Heisman. So he's probably not going to be on very first team all, all American on 18. He's been second team all American on some lists, but not first team. Um, we all picked Jackson Smith and Jigba to be first team all American for obvious reasons, as did most people, because he was a preseason first team all American. He obviously only played three games, was not an all American. Did get a tree, though. I think he did sneak onto a first team from someone last year. Might have been ESPN. Somebody got him on to a first team last year. So I think he does get a tree in, in his career, which, again, is why they need to find a way to give someone like C.J. Stroud one if they're going to give one to Jackson Smith Jigba, I say. Uh, Trevian Henderson. Uh, Doug, you picked Trevian Henderson as an All-American preseason. That obviously didn't happen. Didn't get to play enough and only ran for 500 and some yards. Paris Johnson Jr. was a consensus All-American. Steven and I both picked Paris Johnson Jr. Steven very controversially like picked the entire offensive line and then backed off of it uh, as the words were out of his mouth. But Paris Johnson Jr. was one of the ones he admitted to having picked, and that one stood up. So I guess good job, uh, Steven. Steven also the only one to pick Marvison Harrison Jr. to be an All-American. Mm. Now... Nice. If you're going to predict a guy to get 18 touchdowns, which he did, and we'll get to that again on the hold on, hold on, don't do that. It's still it's still alive. I know. I'm just it's saying. Still alive. What I'm saying was, if you're because going to predict him, any guy's going to get three touchdowns. Yeah. If you're going to predict him to Go get ahead. 18 touchdowns, I think you have to predict him to be an All-American. And it turned out correct. I think if we had known Jackson Pittsburgh wasn't going to play prior to the year, um, you might have gotten more support from the rest of the panel. Uh, JT Tuimaloau was a second-team All-American from some lists. Uh, Steven and I both had him on our list as well. Doug, those are the only three you picked, Stroud, Jackson, Pittsburgh, and Trevor Henderson. And then, Steven, you also predicted Luke Whipler, among others on the offensive line. Luke Whipler was not an off- uh, a first-team All-American this year. But if you go down beyond the top five and go into the other respected but not upper echelon lists, Tommy Eichenberg and Dewan Jones both were first-team All-Americans as well. So, and, and Eichenberg, again, you can't tell the story of Ohio State football in 2022 without having a big chapter about Tommy Eichenberg and the way that he rose from not having a job last year to or not a starting job 
to, uh, oh, yeah, that's a pretty great Rose Bowl, but isn't that like exactly the kind of game where you should have a bunch of tackles to, oh, like, should he be the Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year? Like, it was a pretty interesting, like, eight months in the life of Tommy Eichenberg. So just run me through again. So I had CJ, Jackson, and Trey. Yeah, you over. So I was over three. Correct. I had Stroud. What was your what was your group name? I had Stroud, Smith and Jigba, Paris Johnson, and Tuima Loal. So I had one. And Steven had one for four. Yeah, okay. Steven uh, went with the carpet bomb approach and he had Stroud, Smith and Jigba, Harrison, Paris Johnson, Luke Whipler, JT Tuima Loal, and the the phantom offensive lineman that he uh, pulled back in after first saying he thought there were going to be like three. So he got two, two of two for six. Two for six. Yep. Okay. And I guess Dewan Jones, I mean, the fact that Dewan Jones, there were definitely some all American teams that had Dewan Jones on the first team and not Paris yep. Johnson on the first yeah. team, which and some of that, a part of me would be like, what? well, one of them I know for sure was the athletic. I think it was the athletic. There were some that were making a very strong distinction. I, I bet one of um, um, PFF was one of them because they're making a very strong okay, distinction left between right left tackle. tackle and right tackle. So Dewan okay. Jones was considered the first team right tackle for them, I believe, but would have fit if you were just including all the left tackles in the country, where would he have finished? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I get the positional stuff sometimes. I think that's a, I don't think that's the right time to do it because it's not like a left tackle couldn't play right tackle. You know what I mean? And like, there's a distinction of like, the best guys play left tackle. And so now we're all yeah. talking about here's the 10 best guys, pick the best one of that. Now here's the Dewan Jones. Dewan Jones had a really good year. Um, but I was I was just surprised with some of the teams when they I don't know if there were any teams that had Dewan and Paris first team, which I don't I'm not gonna say it's completely so. unreasonable. I'm just not sure I would have gone Dewan over Paris, regardless of what your rules no, are. No, there were none that did that. If they all if all the All-American teams did that, I think it would have been wrong. I, for PFF to do it is very on brand for them. Like that's kind of their thing is to be that distinct about positions and ratings and stuff. So I get it for them. CBS, I think, was the other one that had him first team over Paris. That one I was a little bit more intrigued by. I'll yell at Shahan about that one. I think it was CBS. Yeah. I just think I, I, I think that first of all, it is still alive, the driving the bus towards the 18 touchdowns. But I do love how Marvin decided to take over my bus and then drive it in a different direction and go, you think I'm going to have 18 touchdowns? I think I'm going to be a unanimous All-American, which respectable mm. to, to Marvin Harrison. We both went out there with some crazy driving, and he just reached his destination before I did mine. So we'll see, though. It's and still the alive. number one receiver played played nine snaps. Which opened the door for Marvin to spread through. I said it would happen with Jackson Smith and Jigba playing. To be fair. Yeah. And then it got easier to do once yeah. Jackson Smith and Jigba couldn't play. So I'm not, I'm giving but it, he, he called it. He's man. good. He called it. I mean, again, if you're going to predict a no, guy to get 18 I touchdowns, I think you got to predict him to be an All American on some list. No, I agree. I agree. No, no, no. He, I mean, Steven is the bus driver of this list for sure. So. It just, it just, again, it goes back to my thing of, I just would have liked to see the offense we thought we were going to see to see what would have happened. Yeah, for sure. Would Marvin have had more receiving yards than Jackson because they double Jackson, the way the offense works? Mm -hmm. Like, I just would have, I wish not just for our stat prediction, but just because they're talented. 
what would it have looked what would it have looked like would they have run it more or less if their running backs were healthy would we have seen what would the split have been between Travion and Mayan would we I just they got forced into doing some things rather than choosing to do some yep. things and the result is I'm still not exactly sure what they would have chosen if they had all their parts working we see the end result which is Marvin Harrison Jr is unbelievable and Mayan Williams is really productive but I, I wish we could have seen it in concert with some of the other stuff. So Because even the receiving oh, well. stuff, it's like you look at Julian Fleming and Cade Stover's numbers. A year ago, that's just one person combined. That's just Chris Olave's numbers while Jackson and Garrett do what they do. How different is that with the receiving numbers? If, if you throw Jackson into that to the point we were saying, is Jackson at like 1,400 receiving yards? Marvin's yeah. got what he got, but then a Mecca, you just combine Julian and Cade Stover's stats and you get what his stats would have been. So it, it just – we signed up to see an offense that we never got to actually see. By the yeah. way, looking ahead to next yeah. year. And I, I would imagine that Ryan Day is probably even sadder. Than yes. About yeah. that. Looking ahead to next year, by the way, Ohio State last had multiple unanimous All-Americans not that long ago, 2019, with uh, Okuda and Young. And I would say that as of today, you would think Harrison and Tuimolo I'll go into next year with a good chance to both be unanimous All-Americans. Certainly consensus on Tua Malawau's part. He's got the yeah. higher jump, but Harrison just did it. First first since yeah. Terry Glenn to do it in 1995. Actually, first first ever to do it for Ohio State. First okay. consensus since 95. So that's our uh, look back at our Market Down Mondays. It is Monday. We'll, from, from now Tuesday until the game, we're live in Atlanta bringing you pods. So we hope you guys join us. We hope you guys are reading cleveland.com slash OSU. For Nathan Baird and Stephen Means, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Mm-hmm.